Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. All right, America. Hi there. Good evening. And what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And um, the voice is working a little bit better. I'm recovering from bronchitis. We're back from Independence Day. Happy Monday, everybody. Happy to be with you guys on the air live again. I appreciate your patience over this very long Independence Day weekend. I hope everybody had a great time. I'm thrilled to be with you. And there is so much to talk about, right? What an interesting Wednesday. And obviously the news has been piling up, but we've got cocaine in the White House. Of course, there's been no shortage of uh, discussion on that today. But in addition to cocaine in the White House, you've got the federal court weighing in saying that the Biden administration actually violated the First Amendment when they were, I'm going to use the word, colluding with Um, big technology companies like social media companies when they were saying, hey, look, Twitter, you need to do this and Facebook, you need to do that. So fascinating, right? They called us all a bunch of conspiracy theorists, or at least they they said that about people like me who were saying, you know, this is messed up and this is wrong. So um, it's just great to be vindicated. It's great to to see that things are taking a a turn for uh, the better, for the truth. Uh, I was listening a little while ago to a a clip of audio between one of the NBC News correspondents and Andrea Mitchell. Now, you know Andrea Mitchell. She's a young woman, a young reporter from NBC News. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. She's probably, I don't know, been around since news has been around. She's been on NBC since ever since I've seen NBC. Real veteran journalist. And... Uh, she was saying that she'd never seen anything like this. And I'm thinking I'd never seen anything like this either. Now, of course, there have been uh, presidents in the past that have discussed in memoirs and whatnot how they've uh, dealt with and experimented with and abused cocaine, like uh, Obama in his um, memoir. Uh, there, there's been um, talk about people smoking pot at the White House. But I can't say I've ever seen somebody in a space for cell phones or whatnot um, actually go and and leave uh, a baggie of cocaine, which, you know, temporarily shuts down the White House, causes the Secret Service to uh, conduct an investigation only to come back saying that it is, in fact, 
uh, cocaine. I mean, this was uh, a fascinating story, right? In in so much that, you know, it was, oh, we found the substance. We don't know what it is. Now we do know what it is. Oh, my gosh, it's cocaine. Of course, then you got guys like me that are making the knee-jerk reaction going, oh, my gosh, what did Hunter use the visitor's entrance? Good old Hunter's now coming in, leaving his party favors behind. And, of course, look, I don't mean to make light of his addiction. I'm just, um, you know, taking cheap political shots here. Because I don't know if it has anything to do with Hunter. Uh, but um, why not, right? I mean, I guess that's the part of uh, part and parcel of what happens when you um, play in, uh, in that end of the pool. You know, you play in the deep end. That's kind of what happens. And, and, um, and I really don't mean to... to poke fun or take shots uh, or make light of of his addiction and whatnot. Because I know a lot of people deal with that. Uh, But it just fascinates me that that's the case. And the first thing that goes through my head, of course, I put my political hat on, is that, well, who would have told the media about this, right? I mean, just imagine if somebody finds a baggie in your house, and maybe you don't have the same protocol, uh, that you have in the White House where they have to shut it down, see if it's anthrax, you know, bring a hazmat team in and all that stuff. But let us presume that you don't have all of that. Then um, what what do you have, right? I mean, I think most people would try to sweep this under the rug and make sure it goes away. Well, then why didn't that happen in this situation, right? And the only thing I can think of is, well, somebody wanted to make sure that the media found out about it. Who that somebody is? It's not Donald Trump. He's not in the White House. He's not able to leak that information. It's not some um, secret Trump supporter somewhere. You can't blame Republicans for this one. Not at all, right? Not even a little bit. Ultimately, what happens here is, in my opinion, as I surmise here, that somebody who doesn't like Joe El Baboso Biden made sure that the media found out about this so that the American public can say, wow, you know what? This is messed up. This is really two plus two plus two plus two definitely isn't making four. There's a lot more here, right? This is a crooked situation. And Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana, he's terrific. The guy is so funny. He's witty. It's always uh, kind of unexpected because he's got this Southern charm to him. And then he comes out with a little zinger, which I think is funny. But I think he said it best when he said that the the uh, the media is working overtime. I think the term he used was uh, like an ugly stripper <laughs> to to make sure that this doesn't see the light of day. And I think they're going to make sure it sees the light of day, but they're going to make sure it doesn't see multiple news cycles, even though it's a big deal. I'm pretty sure it's going to go away. Listen to this. Look, I I don't know if Mr. Hunter Biden committed a crime. I I sure don't know if President Biden committed a crime. We're trying to get get the facts. But but I do know this, and I think the American people can see it. The the, the Washington managerial elite, the establishment, if you will, is, um, is working harder than an ugly stripper to cover up whatever happened. And, and that's all that Congress is asking for is the facts. So there you go. Congress is uh, <laughs> trying to find out what's going on. And he's not even talking about cocaine in the White House, by the way. He's simply talking about them trying to find out what's going on with all the other stuff that uh, Hunter has now agreed to uh, 
to uh, plead guilty to. And and of course, um, Joe Biden maintains his son has done nothing wrong. Now, I've seen all sorts of videos uh, out there that seem to show Hunter Biden rubbing his nose at an Independence Day celebration at the White House. I can't look. I rub my nose all the time. I have allergies. I'm allergic to almost everything under the sun. Right. If it doesn't give me a sniffle, it gives me a dry cough. If it doesn't give me a dry cough, it gives me eczema and dry skin. Ultimately, what, uh, you know, with somebody rubbing their nose might be a telltale sign to them. But to me, it just means the guy had to rub his nose. Now, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about his legal situation. We're going to talk about the Supreme, uh, not the Supreme Court, but a federal court weighing in saying that, no, you can't collude. We're going to do a bunch of that conversation. Uh, Plus, we're going to talk about the role of faith in American history. We're going to do that a little bit. And we're also going to have some discussion on one patriot that is driving across the country. And uh, you're going to want to hear why. So, of course, we're going to have Open Phone America because we're live and we're national tonight. So don't miss that. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Don't move a muscle. We're just getting started. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Investigation. Again, this is under their purview. Let's see exactly what occurred and what happened. They're get, going to get to the bottom of this, Bay meaning the Secret Service, not going to get ahead of, of any changes in protocol or anything like that. Let's let the Secret Service do their job, which we believe and have all the confidence that they will get to the bottom of this. All right, that's Karine Jean-Pierre at the White House press briefing today saying uh, she's not going to go ahead and with any changes in protocol. We're going to let the Secret Service do their job and get to the bottom of it. Uh, And look, that's a reasonable response, although fascinating to me that there is zero response uh, in terms of, wow, we're shocked. We can't believe it. I mean, this makes it seem like, look, every other time we found cocaine, we've uh, relied on the Secret Service to get to the bottom of it. So just like that, we're going to do the same thing this time. I've never heard of such a thing. But I want to get to the bottom of this as well as the rest of Hunter Biden's shenanigans and what's going on in this Biden White House with uh, Nicole Ambrose, former National Young Republicans chair and the Republican National Committee uh, committee woman, excuse me, for Maryland. Welcome. Great to be with you. Thank you so much. And we finally have an answer. And we finally have an answer to we finally have an answer to what is waking up Joe Biden for his press avail. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. And, you know, it's it's fascinating to me that uh, that this is the response we get with with really just nothing added to it. And again, I probably shouldn't be surprised at that. Karine Jean-Pierre, uh, is, this is kind of her job and the way she handles things all the time. But tell us um, y- your initial reaction to this, because I think this is just absolute crazy town. Am I wrong here? 
So on the one hand, I look at the way KJP responds to most things and I say, wow, okay, she actually did a respectable job in answering this question, right? It was dry. It was to the point. It's what most people would want in their press secretary, right? But yes, you're absolutely right. She's acting like this is just a normal occurrence that they find cocaine all around the White House on a daily basis. And oh, just another instance of, oh, whoops, how, you know, Hunter or Joe or whatever staff member is just leaving it laying around all the time. So it was, yes, alarmingly casual in the response. Yeah, This is concerning to me. Because the, yeah. Yeah. the the response is it, it, it lacks uh, I don't know really any any real depth here, which again is is kind of the usual with Corinne Jean Pierre. But the the bigger issue is I think I think I, I don't know maybe I'm wrong maybe I'm just being a cynical talk radio host, but I feel like I I've never heard of this happening before. I think most American uh, the American public is looking at this saying wow. That's an interesting headline, cocaine in the White House. And like you said, we finally have an answer, right? There was a, it's been two days or three days of there was this mysterious substance and whatnot. So I think with all of the delay and the drama involved in trying to figure out what happened, it, it's, uh, it's just so interesting to me that we, we, just, we get this very um, laissez-faire kind of response that I guess we get that with everything else. Uh, but do you think that this becomes a story that we'll talk about for days to come until we get to the bottom of it? Or does this go away soon? Mm, see, there's two-sided, right? Because on the one hand, people are used to these Biden family disasters, right? It, to the point that um, it's embarrassing for our country. It's embarrassing that the leader of our country is expected to perform at such a low level along with his family members um, that probably no one's really surprised by this cavalier attitude toward, you know, hardcore illegal drugs um, in, in the people's house or what should be the people's house. Um, And, you know, on the other hand, you have to say, good job, the secret service, they're following their guidance. They're doing what they're supposed to do, which is, you know, whenever there's a problem, they're supposed to handle it very professionally and report on it. And thank goodness for them being so professional because otherwise we would never hear about these things. Yeah. And I think this is just, uh, just one more of, of a string of interesting things, uh, regarding, uh, the, the Biden family. And in this White House, it's it's just, it really is. Now, I want to get your, your thoughts on on the, uh, the the bigger issue, which I think is being overshadowed now by the discovery of cocaine inside of the White House, which is Hunter Biden's um, plea deal. Right. He says, OK, yes, yeah. I did it. Famously, his dad said, my son did nothing wrong. He's the smartest guy I know. Now, you know, he's still the smartest guy he knows and he still loves him. And I expect him to love his son. That's a great thing. But. Uh, now it's, you know, he won't say his son did nothing wrong because he's admitted to doing something wrong and he's getting this, right. uh, what many are saying is a sweetheart deal. I think it's a better deal than I would have gotten. Uh, and, uh, and I hope to never be in that situation, but what's your thought on that? Right. Okay. So this story is going to come back heavy. It was here last week, right? When all of a sudden all the mainstream press that wouldn't touch a Hunter Biden story or a Biden family corruption story with a 10 foot pole 
suddenly started reporting on it, right? We had CBS, we had the New York Times do this whole article where basically everyone's like, oh yeah, Hunter Biden has been doing all these totally illegal things. But but here's there, there's a whole lot under the surface of this, right? Because on the one hand, you have the media, the quote unquote mainstream media, finally admitting there are these problems, right? That is a totally separate conversation in the, the Biden family corruption from the real story of the whistleblower, which was how our, our big brother government was utilized from multiple agencies to sidetrack, sideline, and torpedo investigations into Hunter Biden. So we've got two totally different corruption stories here, one with a Biden family and one with our government not doing their job as a political favor to someone, which gets to the point of we have a two-tier justice system, right? We've got elites like Hillary Clinton, like Hunter Biden, like Joe Biden himself. Like, goodness sakes, Charlie Rangel back in the day, if you are an elite Democrat in Washington, D.C., you can get away with just about anything. But if you're anyone else in America, whether you be just an average, you know, everyday person, a Republican, a Democrat, an independent or an elected Republican, I dare say, you have a different system of justice. You are going to get in a whole lot of trouble if you commit crimes or maybe sometimes even if you don't. OK, um, mm-hmm. so two tier justice system. Absolutely. You, know, you bring right. up such but, a good point. When you, when you bring up Charlie Rangel, and it reminds me, for whatever reason, uh, of another former congressman who who had an arrest inside of his house for uh, running a brothel in his house. And again, mm-hmm. he wasn't running the brothel, uh, but, but someone was arrested for running a brothel out of his house, um, Barney Frank. And, and that yep. was a, a big uh, nothing burger when it happened. You know, I think most people, you could say, was there a brothel inside of a congressman's house? And people go, no, come right. on, it's fake news. <laughs> what do you, th- you guys are all conspiracy theorists. And it just amazes me how things are just a flash in the pan. Another thing that yeah. bothers me is when people misspell my last name. And, of course, it's Valdez with an S. But your first name has two E's at the end. And I, I'm pretty sure I mispronounced it on the way in. What is the correct pronunciation of your first name? It is Nicolie. Just think Nicole with two E's, Lee at the end, Nicolie. That is so cool. Nicolie with an extra E. I love it. All right, folks, uh, we are on with Nicolie, and we're coming back uh, to continue our discussion on what happened with a federal court when they said, you know what, you're not allowed to collude with big tech. And uh, this is a, a tremendous blow to the White House. This is already an embattled White House that has bad numbers, 34 percent approval rating on how they're dealing with the uh, economy. It's not looking good for Joe Biden. Anyway, stick around. We're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. Nicolie Ambrose, Rich Valdez. It's America at Night. We're coming right back. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen.
listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. The federal judge barred parts of the administration from contacting social media platforms about online content. Now, the ruling came in response to a lawsuit brought by Republican-led states alleging that the White House went too far in its efforts to curb content that challenged vaccines or threatened elections. The judge said certain departments should not reach out to companies like Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram for, quote, the purpose of urging, encouraging, pressuring or inducing any manner the removal, the deletion, the suppression, or the reduction of content containing protected free speech. The ruling singles out several government agencies, including the Department of Justice, of State, the CDC, as well as HHS. All right, that's a report for NBC News um, on what happened when a federal judge said, yes, you've overstepped your bounds, you've violated the First Amendment, the Biden administration guilty as charged. We're talking about that with Nicolee Ambrose. She's a former National Young Republicans chair and the Republican National Committee woman for Maryland. Nicolee, when you hear this, um, I got to tell you, I was happy. I was like, wow, look at this. I can't believe the media getting it right for once. Um, It it was almost a breath of fresh air. And it's probably that like Stockholm syndrome, right? (laughs) At this point, I'm used to getting abused uh, by the by the uh, the left within the media. But I, I was happy that they got it right for once. What say you? Absolutely. I mean, it's really scary when um, it seems to only be successful (laughs) or done by the left, when the left can lean on any company in America and say, if you don't change your narrative to what we want, we will come after you with a force of the government. That's terrifying. And that is expressly not what America is supposed to be about. And, you know, it, it, we've seen it time and time again, in particular with this administration, but with a history going back uh, for, for, for decades uh, with, with multiple uh, Democrat administrations weaponizing government and for the first time ever having a weaponization of government committee, which I think is great. But in yes. this particular situation, we've got the State Department canceling their meeting with Facebook after the judge uh, uh, said that, look, this uh, ruling on censorship uh, went too far. And I think this is fantastic. This is a, uh, a victory for the American people. Um, it, I find it, the timing just so, so interesting that it, this right. hasn't ended, right? I, there's actually a court case here. Right. And, and, and they didn't, it didn't stop anybody. They're like, no, 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 we're good, we're good. You know, the, the amount of downplaying that I've seen in this administration, I have to say I've never seen as much of it anywhere else. And nothing is a big deal to Joe Biden or Kareem Jean-Pierre. Everything is kind of business as usual. No, no, come on. Nothing to see here. It, it just amazes me how, you know, uh, we're actually having the judiciary weigh in to say, excuse me, White House, you cannot collude with social media companies. And and yet they still had meetings on the books. It just blows me away. Yeah, no, you're. You're absolutely right. And right. We're not just we're we're talking about COVID-19. Sure. But we're also literally talking about things like the Hunter Biden laptop, these Mm -hmm. things that he's, you know, being prosecuted and under investigation for. We're talking about um, just general censorship. Now, I'm going to actually this was on the cover of The Wall Street Journal's weekend paper, and I'm going to just directly quote this. So this is a case. It was called Missouri versus Biden. And the states involved were basically Louisiana 
in Missouri, and it was a judge out of Louisiana that issued this decree on Independence Day. So, I mean, props to the judge. Great timing, (laughs) reminding us of that whole freedom thing and freedom of speech. But it literally says, quote from this article, the plaintiffs in the case, Missouri versus Biden, have argued that the White House and other government officials bullied social media companies into suppressing views disliked by the administration, including criticism of mask mandates and objections to COVID-19 vaccination for children with veiled threats of new regulatory liabilities and antitrust enforcement. This is insane that this is allowed in America. I mean, thank God for this judge even taking this case. A lot of other courts throughout the nation kept rejecting people's the cases that even just trying to be heard on this subject matter and any of us who either have been personally or have a friend on Facebook or whatever social media platform mm-hmm. that's been blocked and they don't even know what they've been blocked for half the time at this point, right? It's something related to COVID or a vaccine or Lord knows what at this point, but the how on earth we can be sitting here in a supposedly free country founded on the concept that Government is beholden to us, not us to the government, and be dealing with an elected official who's supposed to represent us, thinking that they can basically play mind games and block information from coming to us is is, is absurd, and um, it is high time we press this issue, and thank goodness for this judge who is doing that for us. You're right, and I just want to quote the judge, right? That's Judge uh, Doughty. And another quote from this opinion here, uh, from the ruling, says, quote, during the COVID-19 pandemic, a period perhaps best characterized by widespread doubt and uncertainty, the United States government seems to have assumed a role similar to an Orwellian ministry of truth. That's a direct quote from the judge. And thank God for somebody who's actually thinking and who's read 1984 to understand yes. how this works. Exactly. Everybody else, I think, appreciates that. Uh, I, I don't want a ministry of truth, right? Uh, yes, maybe in Harry Potter, but no, not in America. Thank you very much. <laughs> we have to have different value systems. A hundred percent. At least At least we thought we had a different system, right? Uh, Exactly. It's uh, lamentable what's going on. Folks, we're on with uh, Nicola Lee Ambrose, a former national chair of uh, the Young Republicans and the GOP's National Committee woman for Maryland. And uh, we're going to be getting to your calls and continuing our conversation on what's going on in this White House. I want to talk about some of Biden's numbers and the rest of the crazy coming out of D.C. straight ahead. 833-482-5337-8334-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
How many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. And as far as the president's involvement in that? So that's kind of the crux of, of one of the issues here is that we weren't allowed to ask questions about dad. We weren't allowed to ask about the big guy. We weren't allowed to in, include uh, uh, certain names and document requests and search warrants. So, um, you know, we were precluded from following that line of questioning. And that is the whistleblower from the IRS that was conducting the investigation into Hunter Biden, uh, Gary Shapley, who works for the IRS and was um, he's been beaten up legally, right? They're using all sorts of lawfare and tactics to beat him up. Uh, today, he comes out swinging, saying that he wants the Washington Post. He demands that they clear his good name after Hunter Biden's legal team made what he's calling defamatory claims against him. Now, lawyers representing IRS uh, whistleblower Gary Shapley or Shapley, not sure the pronunciation on that one, sent a letter demanding that the Washington Post set the record straight on the allegedly false and defamatory statements made by Hunter Biden's legal team. And um, this is an ongoing thing because he's the sole whistleblower and he's done a great job. He's been on 60 Minutes. He's been on Fox News. We've seen him in multiple outlets. He's a credible whistleblower. I think his story makes a lot of sense. And you heard him right now saying it. We we weren't allowed to pursue any questions related to the big guy, anything about Hunter Biden's father. This was all uh, prohibited, um, according to the whistleblower saying the DOJ put the kibosh on that. So I want to get to the bottom of that. And to do that, we're with Nicolee Ambrose, former National Young Republicans chair and the Republican National Committee woman for Maryland. Uh, Nicolee, what are your thoughts on this matter with Gary Shapley or Shapley? You know, as I hear it, it's Shapley. And so you're exactly right, Gary Shapley. So he was a senior IRS or is a senior IRS investigatory supervisor. So he is high up in the food chain, right? Mm. And he actually, he has a subordinate. He has done this a lot. And let me tell you, the IRS does not go after, at, at that time, the former vice president's son unless they have a rock solid case, right? Mm-hmm. And essentially, so it, it's Shapley, plus it is one of his subordinates who's also agreed to be a whistleblower, but he is known in the press as Mr. X. And drumroll, apparently there is going to be a third whistleblower coming out from a different federal agency. Um, very shortly. So we will be at three Biden whistleblowers that uh, Hunter Biden's team are going to have to go after malign and try to destroy in the press because we know that's what they will do. Um, but here, here are some of the details from Shapley's report. He was supposed to be working for, for, on the team with U.S. Attorney for Delaware, David Weiss. Weiss had a good reputation, okay? He Uh, But the problem was he was only for Delaware. So he went to Merrick Garland, the attorney general of the United States of America, and said, I need to be I need a higher level. I need to be made special counsel so I can override basically Biden appointed U.S. attorneys in these different jurisdictions that would not allow him to proceed with pressing charges where they their investigation led them, they needed to press charges in the state of California and in the District of Columbia. Merrick Garland 
turned down that request. On October 7th of 2022, the U.S. attorney, David Weiss, stated to his team, to six high-level federal agents, that he did not have the authority and uh, to, to do what they needed to do in this investigation. So that meant Merrick Garland was denying it. Merrick Garland has paraded himself in front, of the, in front of the U.S. Senate, in front of Chuck Grassley, in front of numerous elected officials saying, oh, he, oh they had the authority to, authority to do whatever they wanted to do in this right. investigation. Absolutely not true. So this summer is going to get hot and heavy because here's what's next. Coming up in Congress, there will be hearings to determine who is lying. Then Chuck Grassley in the U.S. Senate is not going to be happy because Chuck Grassley has been at this game a lot longer than any of these pikers. And he's not Mm -hmm. going to take kindly to being lied to under oath. And then uh, Kevin McCarthy, the speaker, has already potentially said if if any of this struck stuff appears to be true, we will proceed with impeachment articles for Merrick Garland. Then next, coming up even soon, uh, pretty soon, we've got the Judiciary Committee in the House. Garland is scheduled to testify on September 20th, um, but that's probably going to be moved up based on this new intelligence. And then we have the FBI director, whose agents were also involved in this, testifying on July 12th. And that's that committee hearing is going to be led by Ohio's very own Jim Jordan. And then the other big news for July is going to be um, that good old Hunter Biden is slated to appear in federal court in Delaware on July 26th to formalize the plea deal. Um, Numerous. Legal minds, including folks like Alan Dershowitz and the former head of the Department of Justice's tax division, say this plea deal should be thrown out and the judge should not accept it because it was based on a lie. And here is, to me, the scariest thing. Throughout the investigation, what Shapley basically testified to and has been sharing very directly in these interviews, federal prosecutors blocked search warrants, interviews, and more serious criminal charges. Mm. Examples of this are the FBI alerted the Secret Service to keep Hunter from being interviewed. That is terrifying abuse of uh, government power there. Um, Two, there were a lot of, the IRS believed the location of a lot of these documents was in a Virginia storage locker. The government tipped off Hunter's lawyers to play games with the documents hidden in the Virginia storage locker. And then when the IRS uh, was going to be kind of do a sting operation and interview 12 key people in one day, um, it, they only got one interview and it appeared that just as in these other instances, the government had tipped off these 12 people. So as to be hidden and not available for these, for the IRS's investigation. So this is a big cover up. So when I said on the one hand, we have the Biden family criminal activity, that's true. But what's almost even scarier to me is different federal agencies seemingly very directed, very specific work uh, to interfere with a legal case, a criminal case. Wow. 
Well, Nicolie, uh, it sounds like you've got your finger on the pulse of everything that's going on. I hope to bring you back on soon to get another update, uh, especially in July, because it seems like everything's going down in July. Uh, folks, we're on with uh, former National Young Republicans Chair and the Republican National Committee woman from Maryland, uh, Nicolie Ambrose. Nicolie, let everybody know how they can uh, keep up to speed with you and all the work you're doing. Oh, you're awesome. It's been great chatting with you. Um, I'm at NicoleeAmbrose.com, N-I-C-O-L-E-E, Ambrose.com. And Facebook, I'm at NicoleeUSA, N-I-C-O-L-E-E-USA. And Twitter, at NicoleeAmbrose. Outstanding. Folks, give her a follow. And again, I thank you for... uh for bringing us up to speed on what's going on. It's absolutely crazy what's coming out of this White House. It's hard to juggle all these multiple stories because there's so many, in my opinion, uh, scandals <laughs> coming out of the White House. I appreciate your time. Hope to see you again soon. Great chatting. Have a great night. You too. All right, folks, and your calls are coming up. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. I'm Joe Biden. I am Joe Biden's husband. You know, I often say, and you're tired of hearing me saying it probably, but children are the kite strings. They're not somebody else's. They're all our children. Are the kite strings that lift our national ambitions aloft. And you hold those strings. You hold those strings. And our job is to make sure you have what you need to do what you do best. To do what you do best. And listen, one of the things that Joe Biden does really well is sniff the hair of little kids. Now, listen, I, uh, I, I, I've never been able to explain that. I've never met a reporter, a White House correspondent, anybody who could explain why on earth Joe Biden decides to sniff the hair of small children. But be that as it may, statements like this one are concerning, not because of the collectivist nature, the it takes in a village. These are all our I get it. You know, if you live in a, a tight knit neighborhood and you see, you know, Mr. So-and-so's kid, you know, riding his bike down your block and somebody is picking on him or somebody tries to lure him into a van with candy and, you know, Joe Biden bumper stickers. Obviously, you're going to say, hey, cut it out and you're going to you know stick up for the kid because, yeah, they're all our kids in that sense. We all have to look out for one another. But when it comes to. Uh, Biden's comments here. I, I feel like, you know, th- this is the audience, right? He's talking to the NEA, the National Education Association, at their annual meeting. This, to me, is where it's concerning because they also feel like it's not just, uh, you know, your kid. They feel like it's their kid, right? They, they are in charge here. They are the mind shapers or what they call themselves, mind benders and or mind shapers, whichever one it is not just educators, they're not here just to, you know, bring your kids up to snuff on on reading, writing, and arithmetic and, and critical thinking skills, but they want to change the way your kid operates, right? The entire operating system is going to be changed. They introduce the social, emotional learning, the critical uh, race theory, critical gender theory. I mean, it's just fascinating to think that all of that is the job of a school teacher, right? To turn your kid into a commie? No, thank you. 
Anyway, we're going to get to a little bit more on that a little bit later. But straight ahead, we're going to talk about the role that faith plays in American history. I, you do not want to miss this. Our phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. I'm Rich Valdez. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be with you. It's uh, Wednesday, Wednesday edition. I think earlier I said it was the Monday edition, because it feels like a Monday, but it's actually Wednesday, and uh, we're coming back off of the Independence Day weekend. It was a four-day weekend for many people. Wow. I feel very independent after four days off, let me tell you, and uh, thrilled to be here with you. Our telephone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. If you want to um, join our late-night national town hall conversation, I encourage you to do so. And on the heels of the death blow that was dealt to Biden's student debt bailout, we have another court decision today uh, from a lower federal court saying that the Biden administration overstepped its bounds, and that's putting it nicely, with respect to its handling of the coronavirus pandemic by colluding with social media companies. Here's a quote that I read earlier. I just want to repeat it because I think it bears repeating. During the COVID-19 pandemic, a period perhaps best characterized by widespread doubt and uncertainty, the United States government seems to have assumed a role similar to an Orwellian ministry of truth, end quote. That is uh, federal judge Doughty, uh, the presiding judge on that case brought by uh, Louisiana and Missouri. And with the court saying, yes, there was a violation of the First Amendment. And that's not the only thing that happened in the White House. Of course, uh, a white substance was found after a hazmat team had to go and find it. And it turns out it's cocaine that they found inside the White House. Man, I tell you, it's it's giving new meaning to the term White House, right? Unbelievable what's going on. And let me tell you, ever since the um, Republic, and I'm talking about Plato's uh, writing, the, the Republic, there has been a study of statecraft, and it's it's been a staple of Western discourse. And, of course... The same goes for the study of various leaders. But Jewish scholars and thinkers, um, you, you haven't seen as much, right? Strikingly few have turned their attention to the history of Jewish leaders. Well, there's a new book out. It's called Providence and Power, Ten Portraits in Jewish Statemanship. The author uh, is the director of Yeshiva University's Strauss Center for the Torah and Western Thought, and he's the rabbi at Congregation Sharif 
Israel in New York, the oldest Jewish congregation in the United States, Rabbi Meyer Soloveitchik. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me on, Rich. It's my pleasure. Uh, and and I'm, I'm interested in the book. I'm interested in, in, in the entire conversation, really, because I think overall faith plays such a role in our American history and our founding um, I know that you, you kind of um, you string in different elements of how the Bible is portrayed in our American history, in addition to citing uh, various um, um, w- exactly what's in the title, right? <laughs> These portraits in Jewish yeah. statesmanship, which I, exactly. I think are, are fascinating because whether it's Jewish statesmanship or anybody else's statesmanship, I, I think um, it, you can always draw something from a solid statesman, you know? I mean, that's just the way it is. This is why we constantly, I think, draw from the wisdom of Winston Churchill and Ronald Reagan and so many others in modern history. So um, let's let's get into the book, because obviously there was a, a need yeah. for the book, and, and it, it's obviously in its own lane. But let's discuss how you um, approached this uh, faith in American history. Thank you. So... Uh, you're absolutely right that there's a great deal to be learned from every sort of statesman that, that achieved greatness. Uh, Churchill was, uh, is, was, is one of my heroes is one of, and was uh, one of the great, was the greatest statesman of the 20th century. Uh, and yet, uh, it, it, biblical statesmanship is, is different. And a case that I would make is that actually uh, the greatest of American statesmen have uniquely paralleled and imitated the biblical idea of statesmanship in a way that other great statesmen might not have. So, for example, the example I give in the book, uh, Churchill was a great statesman, uh, but the one virtue uh, that you would never apply to Churchill really was uh, humility. Uh, As my friend Andrew Roberts, the great historian who wrote an amazing biography of Churchill, uh, I think the way he put it was, is I think he said, Andrew said, Churchill believed in God, but in Churchill's theology, God's job was largely taking care of Winston Churchill, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, and he knew he was a great man, uh, and uh, that confidence in himself fueled his greatness. But when you look at somebody like King David, David, of course, knows of his great political and military gifts, but he feels at the same time that he is a vessel in God's plan. He's able somehow to simultaneously balance incredibly independent, brilliant action militarily and politically, while combining that with a sense of providence. And when you look at American leadership at its best, Washington and Lincoln, uh, you see that as well in a way that you don't necessarily see with the greatest of European statesmen. Outstanding. Well, I, I want to continue to pull on that thread because I know yeah. we won't have time for all ten portraits. But I'm always interested in in a in a in a look at that because uh, again, I use Churchill as a as a modern day example, but I think your King David example is an excellent one, one where we we often rely on the wisdom of David, or even in just popular culture, uh, you know, people yeah. find themselves uh, outside of statesmanship just. In, in discourse, constantly saying things like, uh, you know, we're going to split the baby on this one, right? Referring to King Solomon right. and, and his wisdom. Right. So I think, you know, there, there's so much that we can draw from uh, the, the statesmen that are in the Bible. And let's, let's um, I'll give you a free reign to, to take that, that, that thread and run sure. with it. 
So uh, the, one of the most famous examples, of course, and one that I discuss in the book is, is Queen Esther. Uh, here you have someone who uh, suddenly finds herself uh, in a position of great power and influence and is told by uh, her cousin Mordechai uh, when she is addressing, when the two of them are addressing this genocidal threat against the Jewish people. He says to her, to his cousin, the queen, now the queen, in one of the most famous verses in the Bible, who knows, but for, perhaps for this moment, you rose to royalty. In other words, so a certain sense uh, that, is, that, that is with which great political actors in the biblical model are endowed is a sense of providential destiny and an understanding that this may be the moment that God has set for one to take action. You know, strikingly, actually, when Abraham Lincoln was visited uh, right before the Battle of Antietam uh, and they were lobbying for an Emancipation Proclamation, uh, they actually quoted this group of American ministers from my hometown of Chicago uh, and from Illinois, visited mm -hmm. Lincoln from Lincoln's home state, and they quoted him in this petition. They gave him a petition asking him to issue an Emancipation Proclamation, and they quoted this verse as well that Mordechai says to Esther, who knows, but perhaps for this moment, you rose to the leadership. And so uh, that's one of the most famous examples of biblical leadership. Now, the, the greatness of Esther's story, of course, is that she takes this inspiration, but she devises her own plan. For your listeners that are familiar with the book of Esther, Esther suddenly finds herself the wife of this, this, uh, this paranoid, uh, tyrannical king, uh, uh, a decree of genocide placed against the I'm Jewish sorry, people. Now uh, against Achashverosh or Xerxes, and 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 her and she she's inspired by her cousin by Mordechai to seize the moment. But actually, if you read the book, if you read the Bible, she devises her own plan. Her cousin Mordechai says, "Here's what you should do," and she says, "No, I don't want to do that. That's a terrible plan. I'm going to play on the paranoia of the king." Uh, I'm going to because it's kind of like being it's kind of like being married to Stalin, right? You have to figure out what you're going to do here and what's the best way to turn him against his vizier to play on his paranoia. And I argue in the book that Esther is actually one of the most brilliant political actors in the Bible and in the history of the world because she balances this political brilliance side by side with the sense of providential destiny. So that's what I think the biblical ideal of leadership is. And then I go on to argue in the book that this is reflected, of course, this, this balance of political brilliance and providential destiny is also reflected in the modern story of the state of Israel, which is, of course, a story both of political brilliance, but also of modern miracle. Folks, uh, we're talking about the brand new book, Providence and Power, 10 Portraits in Jewish Statesmanship with the author, Rabbi Meyer Soloveitchik. He's director of Yeshiva University Strauss Center for Torah and Western Thought, and he's the rabbi at Congregation Sharif Israel in New York, which consequently is the oldest Jewish congregation in the United States. We're going to continue this discussion of um, statesmanship, and both as it applies uh, historically and as it applies, as he just alluded to, a little bit more um, in, in modern times in the state of Israel, straight ahead, plus your calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, our phone number, 833-482-5337. And our guest is Rabbi Meyer Soloveitchik. He's director of Yeshiva University's Strauss Center for Torah and Western Thought. And he's also the rabbi at Congregation Sharif Israel in New York, which is the oldest Jewish congregation in the United States. His book, Providence and Power, 10 Portraits in Jewish Statesmanship. And we left off with... Uh, a look at how modern-day Israel, the state of Israel, um, is depicting its statesmanship. Uh, I know over the years, from my observations, I've seen a tremendous statesman in um, Benjamin Netanyahu, and I I feel like um, there's a lot of intricacies and nuance to the political structure in Israel. Uh, But, Rabbi... Let's talk about your lessons uh, on providence and power. So uh, in our focus on modern Israel, of course, uh, I, I'll mention that in the book, I, 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 I talk about a medieval Jewish leader, Isaac Abarbanel, mm-hmm. uh, who, uh, was a, who was a leader in Jewish Spain at the time when the Jews of Spain were expelled. The reason why it's important to mention this for your listeners is that, as I note in the book, uh, the great scholar who wrote a biography of this story of the expulsion of the of the Jews from Spain was Ben Tzion Netanyahu. That is Bibi Netanyahu's father. And so it's wow. important to understand that because Prime Minister Netanyahu, who talks about his father and the influence that he had on him, has a deep sense of the fragility of Jewish history and the importance of statesmanship in history, especially when you think of the great dangers that Jews have faced in the past, but also the incredible endurance that Jews have made manifest throughout history. Now, Rich, when we talk about modern Israel, what you have is, on the one hand, a series of incredible acts of statesmanship, but also a series of stories so unlikely that ultimately only providence can explain them. You have a a totally assimilated Jew, Theodore Herzl, in Vienna in the 1890s, who suddenly writes a pamphlet and says, you know what? Uh, Jewish people can recreate a Jewish state and Jews can come from all over the world and build this state. And he sat in his hotel room uh, when he brought together the first Zionist Congress in Basel, and, and he wrote, uh, sitting there in the late 1890s, he says, we have created, I have created the Jewish state. Maybe people will see it in five years, perhaps in 50 years, but everyone will see it. And essentially, almost exactly 50 years after he wrote that, the Jewish state came into being. So uh, how are we to explain this? How how are we to explain stories like this? Is it it a case of brilliant statesmanship? Of course it is. How are we to explain uh, Israel being born in 1948 and defeating masses of armies arrayed against it? Is it a story of military brilliance? Of course, yes, it is. How are we to explain the Six-Day War? Israel suddenly uh, reunites Jerusalem and, and fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Is it acts of great statesmanship? Yes, it is. But is it only that? No, because if you study history, if you study history, you realize that history alone cannot fully explain it. The late great Catholic historian, Paul Johnson, just recently passed away, one of the great historians. He said uh, that in the 20th century, over a hundred states came into being, but only Israel's birth qualifies as a miracle. And so the story of Israel is simultaneously, it's simultaneously uh, a story of 
brilliant statesmanship, and I document the statesmen that helped bring Israel into being. I talk about Theodore Herzl. I talk about an, an American Zionist leader who was on the American Supreme Court, Justice Brandeis. I talk about Israeli leaders like Menachem Begin. Um, but it's also a story, Rich, of something, someone, I argue, uh, beyond uh, great statesmanship itself. And Jewish statesmanship at its best had a deep understanding that it was reflecting something much larger than just statesmanship. That's the argument I make in the book. Are you alluding to Almighty God? Is that the argument? Abs- absolutely. I mean, uh, if look, if 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 uh, if you look at uh, prophetic predictions, uh, what's described is uh, Jerusalem expanding beyond its walls, uh, the streets being so crowded uh, that it's difficult to get into. It's difficult to get into the city. The desert blooming. I've seen all these things. You, you know, I say this, I'm, unfortunately, I say it as a rabbi, unfortunately. Sometimes I'll get off the plane uh, in Tel Aviv, get into a cab, and I'll be sitting in traffic getting into Jerusalem, and I'll sigh in annoyance, you know, like, ugh, now I have to sit here in traffic, until I realize that, wait a minute, this is, this area was totally empty. There was no city here. Right. You're you know, sitting in a miracle. And this this, I'm sitting in a miracle. What am I annoyed about? You know, and that faith, you know, lasts for around five minutes for human beings until you get annoyed. Again <laughs> until, until you look at your watch but, again. <laughs> you know, exactly, because we're human beings. But you have to remind yourself. You know, if you were told uh, anyone living a, a hundred years beforehand, uh, let me give you one other example, Rich, if I can. I, I mentioned this in a piece once in the Wall Street Journal. You know, when yeah, Theodore Herzl, we got about thirty Catholic, seconds. I'll leave you with this. When Theodore Herzl wrote his pamphlet uh, in, in the late 1890s about the Jewish state, he said, he, he spoke about, uh, he, sa- he said, he, he didn't think that the Hebrew language as a modern spoken language could be resurrected. And he wrote, he wrote, can one imagine buying a train ticket in Hebrew? Such a thing cannot be done. I went to, I was recently in Israel. I bought a train ticket and it said on it in Hebrew, Rakevet Yisrael, train of Israel. So in other words, the miracle surpassed even the dreams of the dreamers that helped bring the Jewish state into being. That's a combination of statesmanship and miracle for you. Look at that. And, and, and uh, it's uh, a very fitting title, right? Providence and Power, 10 Portraits in Jewish Statesmanship, um, statesmanship excuse me, Rabbi Meyer Soloveitchik. I want to thank you for being here. Thank you for having me because uh, it was a fascinating conversation, one that we could probably have had for another hour, hour and a half, honestly. There's a lot to discuss. Thank I, I'm a, a fan totally. of, of, of history, in particular um, uh, history that includes the Bible. Thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. And Godspeed to you. Folks, get a copy of the book uh, wherever you get your books, Providence and Power. Uh, when we come back, more discussion straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. Valdez. 
So listen to this. A new report says that 77% of youth are ineligible for military service. They can't serve. Unfit to serve. This is crazy. There's a piece in Fox News, a piece on military.com as well. Unbelievable. This is according to a new study that from the Pentagon that shows 77% of young Americans would not qualify for military service without a waiver due to being overweight, using drugs, or having mental and physical health problems. Now, this comes on the heels of a, of a story on the weekend where the uh, U.S. Army was um, had uh, one of their majors, uh, who is a, a trans individual, on the cover of the webpage on the masthead and promoting that and uh, promoting diversity. And it it just, um, it goes back to this debate of, you know, whether people that are mentally ill are able to serve and is this in fact, uh, you know, what they call uh, gender dysmorphia, is this um, still considered mental illness? I think it is. Uh, according to the Diagnostic uh, Statistical Manual, the DSM-4 or DSM-5. So just really interesting to see what's going on with the challenges that our military is facing uh, with recruitment. And we'll get into a little bit more of that uh, and how they can retain some of these soldiers a little bit later. Uh, but I want to talk about one particular service member right now, and that's Scott Montefusco, former Marine and uh, former FBI agent, and um, he is not only retired from the service and the FBI, but he's a New Yorker like me. And he served for a really long time. And he's about to go, uh, go on or embark on a 65-day drive across the United States in a 1952 Korean War Willis Jeep. And he's doing this to support the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. I want to hear all about it. Captain Scott Montefusco, welcome, sir. Oh, thank you so much, Rich. I appreciate your time and uh, and your invite to be on your show tonight. You bet. Happy to have you. Happy to have this discussion. Uh, I, I salute your patriotism. Thank you for your service. And I find it fascinating that you're doing something I've always wanted to do, not necessarily in a... Uh, Willis Jeep from 1952, uh, but uh, but I've always wanted to drive cross country, probably in an RV and stop at like all of the cool national parks. But um, tell us uh, about what inspired this uh, this journey that you're uh, currently on. Well, uh, what inspired American right. history, mm-hmm. and um, I. I'm I'm an automotive guy, and uh, I was a motor transport officer in the Marine Corps, and um, I knew a lot about automotive history. And many years ago, I learned of the very first person to ever cross the United States in an automobile. So I knew the story, and in 2003, a documentary film came out on the person. And his person's name is Horatio Nelson Jackson. And uh, a documentary came out, and it was produced by Ken Burns, which is, he's the premier documentarist that has done many documentaries, the Civil sure. War, World War II. He Vietnam. is the namesake of the, the famous Ken Burns effect. Yes, you got that right, and I use it a lot in my videos. Yeah. <laughs> 
So uh, he came out with a documentary, and I knew the story already. I was counting the days until that documentary would come out. It was called Horatio's Drive, and it was about the first transcontinental journey across America. And my wife and I sat down to watch it. We watched it, and at the conclusion of that documentary, I turned to her and I said, "Hun, you know what this means? And she rolled her eyes and said, oh, God, what? (laughs) And I said, we're going to do this trip in a Willie's Jeep. Because I've always been a vintage car guy and a Willie's Jeep guy. Mm. And so that's what inspired the trip. But it's my love of history. And, and, and my wanting to share history with anybody and everybody willing to hear about history, particularly young people. I want to get young people involved in learning our history, American history. There's so many topics to American history. And, uh, and this is just one. And, and, uh, this is why uh, one of the reasons to do this trip. The, the other reasons, of course, mm-hmm. uh, I'm retired now. Uh, it was a mandatory retirement age from the FBI at age 57. Uh, I had 36 years of service between the Marine Corps and the FBI. Uh, so 36 years in and out of uniform. Um, but I'm not done serving my country and uh, our country. And I want to inspire young people to maybe serve. Uh, in law enforcement, first responder, fire police, or possibly our military. And so I thought, well, let me do something that will inspire history, inspire young people to love our country and to take an interest. And I thought this story about the first transcontinental journey would do just that. So I started planning for it. I said, well, let me, let me restore a 1952 Jeep, open-air car, much like the very first car that made that trip. The very first car that made that trip was a two-cylinder, 20-horsepower Winton auto car. Wow. And it didn't have a windshield. It didn't have a top. And I thought, well, perfect. The Jeep doesn't have to use the windshield, so I refused to use the windshield. I refused to use the top. I want to do it just like he did it. And I want to do it in the date that he did it. He made the trip between May 23rd and July 26th. So I'm retracing his route across the United States of America on the same dates that he did it. But he did it 120 years ago in 1903. Amazing. So I I just remind the audience, we're talking about uh, Colonel Horatio Nelson Jackson, who made this same trip 120 years ago on the same dates back in uh, 1903. Uh, Folks, we're going to come right back and continue our discussion on this uh, trip across the country and, of course, um, Scott Montefusco's desire to serve. And uh, maybe he could convince a few people to serve as well and his love for history. Uh, Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Night. This is Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. We're having a conversation about Colonel Horatio Nelson Jackson and his trek across the United States by automobile, an open-air automobile with no windshield, and the reenactment of that, a real-life reenactment of that, that's uh, being done in a 1952 Korean war jeep. Um, But this time, it's happening now in 2023, not back in the day uh, in 1903, 120 years ago. Uh, Of course, our guest is uh, retired Captain Scott Montefusco, former Marine and ex-FBI agent. Uh, Scott Montefusco, let's um, continue where we left off. You were telling us about what impacted you on Colonel Jackson's trip. Yes. So uh, after 36 years of, of service in and out of uniform, you know, uh, all the places I've been and, and could have been, uh, I came through my years of service uh, well. I have no serious injuries. I'm in good health. But I did serve with others who didn't ring the bell, who sadly died in line of duty or suffered wounds that they carry with them today. And I'm not just going to go away into the sunset because I rang the bell and I'm retired. I want to continue to give back to our country. This is one of the ways I'm, I'm doing it by making this drive. So, uh, I, I really, I'm, I'm inspired by Horatio Nelson Jackson, even though he did this 120 years ago in a lot of ways, he was like me, uh, he was a patriot, an adventurer, uh, somebody who set his mind to a goal. Nothing could stop him. The Marine Corps mentality has accomplished the mission. And, uh, and this is what he did. Uh, he made this trick. And you, you have the history in perspective. In 1903, there were no roads outside the city. None. And there were no gas stations. You bought gas at hardware stores. And when he does this drive, he is, he is from uh, Burlington, Vermont, so he doesn't know How did he handle the gas situation? Country. That's a really interesting point. Yeah, so he, he had, yeah, he, he brought some extra cans with him, um, and luckily they didn't fall off the car, because as he makes the trip, all sorts of gear falls off the car, and he loses it. I mean, the car's a two-cylinder, 20-horsepower, and he loads it down with 1,200 pounds of camping gear. Can you imagine? Wow. And, uh, and he begins this journey, and he begins this journey with only one hour's driving experience. He didn't own a car. <laughs> he didn't know anything about cars. He took a one-hour driving lesson in San Francisco uh, as a means to uh, fill his time while waiting for a train that's going to take him back to the East Coast where he's from, uh, Vermont. And he takes on this trip. It, it's, it's incredible. He hires a bicycle mechanic because he doesn't know anything about the mechanics of cars. He hires a bicycle mechanic to ride shotgun with him. And, and he takes off three days after he decides he's going to make this journey. So very little planning. Uh, very, uh, and with none, a guy no who knows experience. how to fix bikes, not Jeeps. Right, right, right. Or automobiles at the time, two-cylinder ones, right? Went, went in auto car. And when he decides he's going to do this trip, he doesn't even own a car. And, and the whole trip actually starts with a bet. You see, he and his wife are from Vermont, and they're on their way home from Vermont, uh, from Alaska. They had visited Alaska. Here again, put history in perspective. You live in Vermont, 
and you decide you're going to go to Alaska to check out an investment to maybe buy some. Actually, they were looking at uh, buying into a gold mine. So they take a train from Vermont to New York, New York to San Francisco, get on a ship, go to Hawaii, uh, uh, Alaska, figure out, ah, we don't want to buy this gold mine. So now they're on their way home and they get stuck in San Francisco for two days waiting for the train back to New York. And he finds himself out in a club and the locals are arguing about whether the horse is going to replace the, be replaced by the car or not. And he mm-hmm. weighs into the argument and he says, I'll bet you I can drive a car from San Francisco to New York City in less than 90 days. And I'll bet you $50 I can do it. And that's what starts all that. He doesn't own a car. He doesn't know how to drive except for a one-hour driving lesson he took for fun to fill the time while he's waiting for the train back to the East Coast. And three days later, he buys a used 1903 Winton car, puts 1,200 pounds of gear on it, hires a bicycle mechanic, and begins his journey. I tell you, you, you tell me a story like that with, with, with all of those facts, and my response would probably be, what do you do, lose a bet? <laughs> that would be my thinking of why he would take such a trek. Folks, we're on with Scott Montefusco, former Marine and ex-FBI agent, who's taking a similar trek uh, on the road to Alaska, just like uh, um, Colonel uh, Jackson did. Uh, stick with us. I'm g- going to come right back. I want to get your take on you know, why it's important to serve and why you think we're, we're facing so many problems with service and people wanting to serve or able to serve. So we're going to get your opinion on that. And folks, your phone calls are welcome. Up next in the next hour, it's Open Phone America, 833-482-5337, any topic. I'm taking everybody's calls. I know we've been off for a few days for the holiday, so I'm happy to chat with you guys. 833-482-5337. I'm Rich Valdez. He's uh, Captain Scott Montefusco, and we're coming right back. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez with Captain Scott Montefusco, retired Marine Corps captain and FBI agent. And I want to ask you about... The article I was reading earlier that says 77 percent of the youth in our country cannot serve because of mental illness, being overweight or using drugs or other health problems. And when you look at that, and this is, again, coming from the Pentagon and you think of you know, you've spoken so highly of your service and. If you could tell everybody that's listening, we have, you know, millions of people listening uh, across the country. Scott, what do you tell them uh, in terms of, you know, why they should serve? Well, we we all need to remember where we came from as Americans. 
This country was founded on liberty, justice, and freedom. We have a governance which is like none other in the world. And we have to protect those freedoms and liberties. And uh, that's what our military does. In a lot of ways, the United States is a threat to many other countries that don't have this ingenious system of governance. Um, you know, they, they suppress their people. We're a beacon of freedom to the world. And those countries are threatened by us. Those, look at North Korea, for example. They want to come here. They want lead, uh, liberty and freedom. And uh, so we have to protect it. And, and we cannot take it for granted. Many immigrants come here and they outperform our own Americans who sadly have taken our system uh, for granted. Um, so we need to step up. We need to serve. I tell young people all the time, you know, not only are we a beacon to the world of liberty and freedom, but we have a volunteer force. And many other countries are impressed into service. They must serve in the military. The young people have a choice. And sometimes they don't realize that, you know, when they turn 18 and they sign up for the selective service, uh, that selective service list will become mandatory if people don't volunteer and serve. Right. When they see someone in uniform, they should realize that perhaps that person is serving in their place. Because if he didn't step up or she didn't step up or if people didn't step up and voluntarily serve, that list would become a mandatory list, a draft. And, um, and, and I also believe that uh, if you want to do something bigger than yourself and you want to learn about leadership and work ethic, teamwork mm-hmm. and, uh, and giving back, um, the military is a great place to start. And I say now, start if, because it doesn't have to be a career. Right. No, but it's a stepping stone and it's a foundation. Yes. Yes. And uh, I, I work with many veterans and veterans have a certain, they learn a certain sense of responsibility, a can-do, uh, mission-oriented, work ethic, teamwork. Uh, and they take that and carry that with them the rest of their lives. Uh, I, carry, I certainly carried it with me into the FBI and in every walk of life, every job I've ever had. I brought that work ethic and sense of responsibility with me. And you're displaying it now with your trek to Alaska, right? In a, in a, well, in a 1952 not to Alaska, yeah. San Francisco well, to New York City. Yeah. If people want to learn oh. more about what you're doing, how do they find you? How do they follow you? So I, I created a, a website, which is called The Great American Road Trip for Veterans. And so to find it, it's gartforvets.org. So it stands for Great American Road Trip for Veterans. It's G-A-R-T-F-O-R-V-E-T-S.org. Great American Road Trip for Veterans. And when you visit my website, you can... uh, Well, they'll have to see when they go. Gartforvets.com. Gartforvets.com is the website. Captain Scott Montefusco, I want to thank you for being with us. I appreciate uh, your your insight, the great historical lesson that you taught us. I didn't know much about that trip, and I thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Rick. All right, folks. Open Phone America, coming up next.
from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and I am so thrilled to be back with you. I'm glad that my voice is working again. I had bronchitis uh, over a week ago, and the residual uh, effect on my voice was rough, <clears throat> still a little bit rough, but coming back, we're, we're on the mend. So our phone number, if you want to join us, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDES. I am here to keep you company straight till 1 a.m. Eastern time because I am um, in the New York area. If you're in another part of the country, I, I'd love to talk to you because I love to hear what's going on out in Oregon and California, Minnesota. Um, where else we get a lot of calls from? We get a lot of calls from Missouri. Uh, so anywhere you at, I want to hear from you. Um, because obviously that's what we do on Open Phone America. And a number of things we've talked about tonight. We've talked about uh, the importance of, of of finding good statesmen and making that juxtaposition with those in um, the biblical tradition. And uh, that was a really fascinating conversation. We also discussed this trek across the country with uh, Captain Scott Montefusco, um, where he's reenacting what uh, Colonel Horatio Jackson did. And, you know, I never know what I'm getting when I agree to have these conversations with folks. The one thing I do know, and my goal, just to give you an idea, is to let you, you the listener, right? The show is for you. It's not for me. And I always want to leave you with a show where you can learn something. Where, you know, when you're done listening to all three hours of this program, you can say, wow, you know, I got a little bit of news, I got a little entertainment, I got a little bit of this and that, but I learned something, maybe one or two new things that I didn't know before, whether it's history or just something in general. I feel it's important for us to learn something new and, and in an entertaining and informative way, right? So that we deliver this material uh, in the most entertaining way, so you're not bored to tears, because you could learn in college, right? You could learn in a lot of places. You don't have to come to talk radio to, to this program to learn, but but you do, and I appreciate it. And, and it's uh, I'm grateful for an audience like this one that's as intelligent as you are, because you can grasp these concepts, and, and, and you lend to the conversation with your phone calls, right? 833-482-5337 is the phone number. 8334-VALDES, if you want to chime in. And it is, in my opinion, one big kitchen table, right, where we're having this discussion and everybody's pulling up a chair. Some folks at the family dinner table don't want to say anything. They just want to listen. You know, there's a lot of people like that. And then there's others that, you know, can't wait to be heard. They want, you know, they want to tell their story. It's like any other family dinner, you know, that one uncle that wants to pontificate on everything and hog up all the airtime. No, that's not me. It's my job to kind of do this. <laughs> but I mean, those that that, that they, they want to, um, you know, have one-sided conversations. No, I think it's important that we entertain all sides. And that's why I always welcome people that disagree with me. They come to the front of the line. But the other goal that I have 
is to honor the traditions uh, of this program that date back to Long John Neville and Larry King and Jim Bohannon. And, and for you to hear and participate in a conversation that you're not going to hear anywhere else, even if it's with a guest that somebody else just had on, my hope is that we're going to have a different approach, a different way of, of having that conversation and, and get you to a, a different result so that you can see things in a different light. And, and, and that's my goal. I don't know if I, if I um, you know, uh, achieve that goal every day. Uh, it's definitely my aspiration to do that. But I wanted to share that with you because I think it's so important that we, we have these conversations on a daily basis. And, and it was something somebody brought up to me. Honestly, I, I have the good fortune of sometimes meeting listeners or, or they, they'll inbox me or, or comment on, on social media, at Rich Valdez with an S, by the way. And, and I, I glean a lot of insight from people when they can share things like, you know, here's why I like to show, or here's something I learned. Or when I meet people that to me are the most unique, right? People that don't listen to any other radio or participate in any social media other than listening to this show. And I've actually met a handful of them, believe it or not. So they're not getting their news from Twitter or Facebook and they're not on Instagram. And they also don't listen to talk radio. They only tune into this show how they found out, why all have different stories. But my point is when I speak with those people, it's very unique because they haven't listened to the, this is not the fourth or fifth show of the day that they've heard. And, and when they, they say things like, you know, I can't wait to hear the program because the, the people that are on the program really bring it to life. You know, when they hear these stories and these, these anecdotal stories or these, you know, uh, the, the analysis on the news of the day or whatever it is from our amazing guests, it leaves them with um, with an impression that's favorable and they're able to, you know, conduct themselves at, at a level where they feel more engaged and they know a little bit more about what's going on. They feel better equipped. And, and that's an absolute honor to me that people are, you know, listening to this program and taking that much from it because there's a lot of shows out there you could listen to and a lot of amazing hosts, uh, much better than me. But I wanted to thank you and just make that that little uh, comment. Now, a couple of things I want to talk about in addition to what we talked about tonight and Hunter Biden and the the, uh, the the scandals that surround him and the cocaine that was found in the White House and Joe El Maboso Biden and que mala eres, the vice president, and all of that. We're going to, of course, talk about that. But I also wanted to um, to get your take on on what your reaction to Independence Day was. Uh, I know uh, I live in a small town that has a very long running parade and a lot of small towns have long running parades. I think everybody uses the same moniker as, you know, the the oldest parade in America or whatever. But I know that um, the village of Ridgefield Park in New Jersey does have one such parade that is probably the second oldest uh, in the country, maybe next to the one in Staten Island, New York, uh, that I think uh, goes right back to like 1776 or something like that. Um, But. I bring that up because every year I, I, I check out the parade. My house is along the parade route. And it's awesome to see the people, the little kids, people, you know, they line up with long chairs uh, on the sidewalk and they bring their kids. And it's, it's a real event. It's a real can't miss type of thing uh, in, in my town. And I think it's a great tradition. And, you know, I was watching my nephew who was with his friends who I've seen grow up. I've seen these kids grow up and now they're men. 
you know, he's 21 years old this year coming. And, and I think it's great to see that these were little kids once that were, you know, flocking to catch the candy being thrown off of the fire trucks to actually being there as, as young men watching the parade as, you know, um, not a rite of passage, but just an interesting thing to, uh, my, my, the thought that I had was how often do we see that? Right. And are people into patriotism and lamentably, no, there's some survey out. Let me see if I could find it here. But the, um, the one I saw said that people are something like 60 or 70% less patriotic than they've ever been before. And I thought, my goodness, that is horrible for America. It's horrible for one of my favorite holidays, the 4th of July. It's horrible for a lot of things, for our, our overall national morale. And I was curious, do you out there in the audience feel the same way? Do you feel that, did you see a decline in uh, your 4th of July cookout? Did less people come to your barbecue because they hate America? I don't know if that's accurately put. I don't know if that's uh, just me being hyperbolic, but I'm curious to know what your take is on that. So give me a call, 833-482-5337. Plus, any topic goes, I'm happy to have that conversation with you. 833-4-VALDEZ. We're coming right back to your calls and more. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, and I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. There was a story in the New York Times over the weekend about Hunter Biden's daughter in Arkansas. Uh, does the president acknowledge this little girl as his granddaughter? I don't have anything to share from here. You know, even on a question like that one, and I probably wouldn't have anything to share either. You start asking me about my, my granddaughter, I'll probably get in your face. I don't even have a granddaughter. But um, I think she, this is the first time she obfuscated and it was appropriate to do so. But she's so used to running away from the questions. It's kind of like, you know, business as usual for, um, I was going to call her Jen, circle back, Pasaki, silent P. But no, that's uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, who I never really came up with a good nickname for. And you guys had some good ones that you chimed in on social media. Feel free to do that again. If you've got a really good nickname for Karine Jean-Pierre, please let me know. Something catchy, maybe a little bit of alliteration, something kind of funny would be great because Karine Jean-Pierre is just not funny, you know? I got to come up with something funny. Anyway, um, we're going to your calls because um, we have a lot to discuss from the Biden family to all sorts of things. Let us, let's see, let's, here we go. Let's go to our buddy Gil in the Philippines, patiently waiting, listening to uh, WJTN online. Gil, happy Independence Day. Welcome, sir. Well, uh, this is a very auspicious day uh, here also. Uh, it's a, uh, uh, a working holiday, July 4th, and it's called Filipino American Friendship Day. 
Wow. That's so cool. So do you, do you shoot off fireworks and have barbecues? No, 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 no. no. What do you do? Most Filipinos. How do you celebrate most, your American most friends? Filipinos don't even know if you most Filipinos don't even know there's a Filipino American Friendship Day. Uh, That's just for uh, see, expats used, that are living there. No, not, not that. It's it goes back to World War II. Uh, in 1946, the year after the war ended, uh, the Philippines was given their sovereignty by the United States. Mm-hmm. The Philippines at that time was was a territory just like uh, Puerto, Puerto Rico. Rico. Yeah. And Guam. And Guam. The Philippines was a territory. And there had been a plebiscite, and the uh, if the locals wanted independence or wanted to remain part of the United States, they voted for independence. And a lot of them have been kicking themselves ever since. But um, mm. the... Uh, the, the, the enabling legislation was passed through the Congress, and it uh, and the rest is history. Uh, yeah, right. Well, you know, now let me. Uh, I want to ask you something, Gil. But, yeah. I want to know how do you how do you celebrate Filipino American Friendship Day without fireworks and hot dogs? Uh, let's just say beer a, involved? a bottle of champagne and okay. a, a bottle of champagne and my Filipino wife. How's All that? right. I'll take it. I'll take it. Gil in the Philippines. Thank you, my brother. Always good to hear your voice. I appreciate uh, your uh, your teaching us about American Filipino Friendship Day, July fourth. Who knew there was such a thing? I love it. Uh, let us continue. Let's. Where do we go now? We're going to Ron calling us from Coleman, Alabama. W U R L Whirl. Ron, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Yes, sir. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, uh, sir. I, had some, I believe it might be interesting. Uh, first, uh, just a little joke here. I believe we got uh, a little bit of kindred spirits. They had done a study on uh, baldness, and uh, they say if you was bald in the front, that you was a thinker, and then, and if you was bald in the back, you was a, you was a lover. If you was bald uh. in the front and the back, you you think you're a lover. <laughs> I love that. I figured, That's terrific. I figure me and you can the spirits on that deal. Oh, for sure. But, uh, I figure we're a little levity. Don't hurt every once in a while. Absolutely. But, uh, I was wondering if you was aware in between 1869 and 1901, right after the war, Civil War, as 20 blacks and conservatives uh, elected here in the South, uh, and congressman, two senators, and one lieutenant governor, and it was all southern, uh, southern states that elected them because uh, the the North did not allow for over another hundred years for the Northerns to vote, you know, and that happened in 1965. Wow. Want to know the. That we got, you know, there's the names, of course, and they're 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 on the record. But uh, there's uh, there's eight from uh, uh, South Carolina, four North Carolina, Alabama, three Virginia, Georgia, and Florida, and Louisiana, and Mississippi. Each one 
uh, elected these congressmen. And uh, two, two black senators, two black senators in Mississippi. Now, are these and state senators, sir? These are U.S. senators or state senators? State senators. They, they mm-hmm. uh, hire K. Black, uh, hire K. Rawls and uh, uh, Blank K. Right. Bruce. Well, and the reason I ask is because we don't have that many uh, conservative black senators now, right? I think we've got Tim Scott, and um, that's right, Tim Scott. That's it. So it would be great if we had uh, more um, conservative senators in the um, in the United States Senate. And if they're black, even better, right? Why not? Uh, I'll take a conservative in any color I can get them in. And, and, and Tim Scott's not always conservative on every issue, but... I think for the most part, he's, he's a solid, uh, solid guy, except for when he's saying nice things about Mitch McConnell. That always kind of rubs me the wrong way. Anyway, Ron, thank you. I love that Alabama accent. Sounds just like an accent from Brooklyn, New York, right? Uh, anyway, thank you, Ron. I appreciate it. Let us uh, continue. Actually, we're not going to continue because you won't have enough time. So let me uh, share with you this. Uh, we'll get to your calls right after this uh, commercial. But first, I want to tell you about this. Listen to this. Uh, Gallup poll. This is a new record low are extremely proud to be an American. Yep. That means 62% are not proud. That's horrible. 38% of U.S. adults who say they are extremely proud to be American is the lowest in the Gallup uh, poll, which started for this particular poll in 2001. So you're talking almost a quarter century of, of results, and this is the lowest ever. It doesn't surprise me. Um, 27% say they're very proud, and 65% of U.S. adults express pride in the nation. Thank God. But 22% say they are moderately proud, while 9% are only a little proud, and 4% say they're not proud at all. Now, I think sometimes when you get these results, it's because you gave so many options, right? I mean, people are married. You know, are you married? Yes or no. Make it binary. Do you, start, do you like being married? Do you like being married a lot? Do you like it a little? Are you ma- moderately happy that you're married? You're going to get all sorts of crazy answers if you ask the question that way. Anyway, stick around. We're going to get to the rest of your calls. I'm Rich Valdez. It's America at Night. We're doing Open Phone America, and your calls are coming right up. 833-482-5337. Welcome back. Lots of calls. Going to try to get to every last one of you, but I just want to give you this headline. I won't even give you the whole story. Listen to this. A man in Maryland stole a forklift from Lowe's and he fatally runs down a woman at a Home Depot. Now, this poor woman was asleep in her car. He hits her car with the forklift. She gets out like, hey, what the heck? What are you doing? And he runs her over. Lamentably, she died. And, And that's what happened here. Absolute insanity. The suspect, his name is Bryce Caleb Timothy Brown, 20 years old, 
from Waldorf, Maryland, uh, broke into the business, stole the forklift, rammed it through the rear gates, according to the sheriff's office. And, uh, it, you know, he goes and uh, rams into this lady's car. Her name, Gloristine Pinky, 73 years old. They didn't know each other. She gets out of the car and began running away. He followed her, struck her with the forklift and ran her over. Then stole her car and ran away. He fled with her car. Absolute insanity. What is going on in Maryland? Wow. Anyway, that's almost as crazy as the White House. Let's go to your calls. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to Matt, Eastern North Carolina, WTKF. Matt, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hello, Rich. How are you doing? I'll make it real quick. Yes, that sir. That is a terrible story about the forklift, first of yeah, all. Yeah, crazy. I mean, that's insane. But as I always make everything quick, as far as this White House cocaine business, okay? Mm-hmm. Can you hear me, Rich? Loud and clear. Can, can you, okay. Well, here's the problem. A man in your same line of business who shall remain unnamed, I said, what if someone else planted that cocaine to, to derail the, the uh, Biden re-election, right? Yep. And he said, oh, no, 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 Matt. You know who I'm talking about. I can't mention his name. He said, that was Hunter Biden's cocaine. What's your opinion? Yeah, listen, I, I don't know if somebody put it there, didn't put it there. All I can tell you is all fingers point to a Democrat, uh, a Democrat who does not like Biden. Um, that's that's the only thing that I can come up with. You can't find a Republican not 100 feet near the White House. Uh, I don't see him frequenting with the Koch brothers or anybody else. So clearly this was a Democrat that, and I'm saying who leaked it. I don't know who's, whose it belongs to, um, whose it is. But I do know, and I don't know for a fact, but uh, I have a very strong inclination here that whomever did this, did this because they want to see Biden softened or weakened in a Democrat primary. Now, his, his opponents, I don't know who they are. I think... Uh, RFK Jr. I don't think he's been near the White House either. So I don't, I don't think he's a suspect. But it was definitely somebody who wanted to make sure that Biden got in trouble for this and got the, the negative press on it. And they made sure that the press found out about it, which I think normally this would be swept under the rug and nobody would be any the wiser. So uh, you might be onto something. Who knows? I'm not going to rule it out. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate your call. We will continue with your calls. Let's see. Where do we go here? Kim Shields, Michigan, KDKA. Hey, Kim, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Good to have you back. Thank you. Good and, to be back. And uh, what I called about is I remember back when um, James O'Keefe with Project Veritas, when yeah. um, they uh, came into possession of Ashley Biden's um, diary that she apparently she had been in drug rehab and she left it there and somebody there found it and this couple came and sold it to uh, Project Veritas. But it said in there that, um, and I'm not blaming Ashley because she can't help who her father is, but I'm just saying that she would put in that diary that Joe Biden would come in in the the shower and shower with her. I just think 
that Biden is a nasty, perverted old creep. And I think that that's why that's why Hunter is like he is. And that's why poor Ashley is like he she is. And I, I just think that Biden so messed up and he spread it down a couple generate, you know, and um, I wanted to tell you one other quick thing. Sure. I don't know if this has anything to do with your allergies being bad, but I read a story on my phone that New York is hit with massive invasion of green aphids. Um, mm. Aphids are a type of plant lice. They're, they're little things that like land on leaves and swarms and they like suck yeah. the life well, out of you. I can tell plant. you, I've never seen so much green pollen as I have this year. It was inordinate. Yeah. And my allergies have been really bad. Um, mm-hmm. And I, too, the other night, this is the last thing. Um, you said that you didn't get allergies till your 30s. I didn't get them till I was almost 50, and they're pretty bad. So I, wow. I, I hear a lot of people older getting them. I don't know what it is, but thanks, Rich. Thank you. Yeah, interesting. Maybe we're all getting them because of something in the air. These green little uh, Martians that you're talking about that messed me all up. And took away my velvety, smooth voice. Scoundrels. How dare they? Anyway, thank you, Kim. I appreciate it. Uh, just to respond to what you were saying about Ashley Biden. Yeah, uh, from what I understand, the attorneys that that um, put Project Veritas in, in uh, possession of that diary um, verified that it was hers and whatnot and that it, it did, in fact, have these stories about how she was bothered by, by, by President Biden, um, her dad, uh, you know, whatever, showering with her as a child. And I don't know if that's what prompted uh, her, her issues or not. Uh, I do wish her the best. And you're right. You know, people don't get to pick their parents. Uh, and, and on a separate note, totally unrelated to any of that, I think so much, so many of us, right, uh, we don't realize what we put our kids through. Even though we think we did a great job and we, we're doing the right thing most of the time, I think, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road, our kids will be looking back or speaking to some therapist somewhere or their friend at a bar or whatever. And they're, you know, be like, you know, I, I, I realize I do what I do today because my mom did this or my dad did that. And, you know, um, whether it's hopefully it's not as um, as sinister as what we see um, Hunter and Ashley Biden doing. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I've come to realize that we all play a part in both the good and the bad of our kids trajectory in some way. Right. I mean, they, there's personal responsibility for sure. And um, as my kids get older, I, I realize that and I go, oh, that's why they do that. They do it because of me. It was my fault. <laughs> I set them up. So anyway, thank you, Kim. I appreciate that. Uh, let us continue. Let's see. Where do we go from here? We go from Michigan. We are going to go to Jacob in San Jose, California, on the other side of the country. Go right ahead. KZTA, welcome. Yes, uh, Rich, uh, regarding uh, the 4th of July uh, uh, parades that you were describing, that's so wonderful how they demonstrate. I would say, and I think you would agree, and most people would agree, it, it demonstrates patriotism, showing support for the United States of America. But the good rabbi oh, you had sure. on and I just want to say, maybe- I just want to say, you're, you're right. You know, uh, one of the first things that I gleaned from the local parade in in, uh, New Jersey that I was talking about earlier was how the first thing that sets off the parade here is a a cannon fire, right? And you hear boom, 
And it's it's literally, you know, to remember the revolution. And, you know, then they end with fireworks to remember, you know, the rocket's red glare. And it's a real uh, trip down memory lane to remember why we have independence from uh, the tyranny of King George. And and I thought it was uh, really apropos. Go right ahead about the rabbi. So just to bring this back to the parade and how it demo, it's a demonstration, but uh, the Associated Press, they've been on this, uh, I guess, some kind of uh, campaign about how uh, uh, not appropriate anymore is the word patriot or patriotism. And it kind of makes you wonder what with the rabbi here, maybe a, a spiritual thing uh, with the, Nathan's famous, the big uh, New York City, wonderful hot dogs that are made uh, there in the restaurants, yet they have this association July 4th with this hot dog uh, eating contest, how yeah. many you can stuff. I think this year it was 62 that was consumed by one person. I think he's, his name is Joey Chestnut. That's correct. Yeah. And well, how does that equate to this? I don't think it does equate. I, I think it's kind of like, you know, saying, you know, how does fennel cake uh, equate to a boardwalk at a beach. You know, it's just, there's a lot of people, it's an opportunity to sell something and they do it. Um, it, it just became a tradition. I, I don't think it's because of patriotism. I think it's more so just there are people gathered and they go ahead and eat them, but it is a fascinating competition, right? You've got these competitive eaters and you know, the, the previous reigning champ, Kobayashi, little tiny guy, uh, Japanese guy, he, he was really, really good until Joey Chestnut took him out. And it's amazing to see what he can do. As, and these guys are professional competitive eaters. Now, I'll give you a little tidbit that you may not have known. But on this program, I've had as a guest a couple of times, and he's taught me so much about talk radio uh, at the local level, Curtis Sliwa, uh, who's a, a true blue New Yorker. He participated in the hot dog eating competition, not this year, but several years ago. And he came in second place back when, 16 hot dogs would get you second place. I don't think that 16 hot dogs get you anywhere close to the finalists now. But, uh, yeah, interesting, right, this whole hot dog eating uh, competition. Thank you, Jacob, in San Jose, California. I appreciate the call. Always love to hear from our friends in California. And we're going to take a quick pause right here, come back with the rest of your calls. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. This land is your land, and this land is my land. From the California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. All right, now I requested that song to be played. I wanted the Bad Bunny version. I guess we didn't get the Bad Bunny reggaeton version, but I'll take that one. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island, this land was made for you and me. Well, not according to Ben and Jerry's, because Ben and Jerry, the two guys that started the ice cream company and then sold it to Unilever and uh, still 
participate in their what they call marketing, which I'm going to call Marxist propaganda. But they put out a tweet on the 4th of July looking for a little smoke, and they found it with me. The 4th of July, listen to this. This is what they put in their tweet. The 4th of July, excuse me, let me start again. This 4th of July, it's high time we recognize that the U.S. exists on stolen indigenous land and commit to returning it. Learn more and take action now at benandjerrys.co slash 46VRYU3, blah, 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 blah. And it has a little image attached to it that says the United States was founded on stolen indigenous land this 4th of July. Let's commit to returning it. This is stolen land. And it has little pictures of stars and stripes in the shape of fireworks. Now, this is what they put on Twitter. And, of course, sparking outrage amongst lots of people. Uh, I don't even respond to these silly shenanigans. I rarely do. Um, I mean, I respond to lots of silly shenanigans on Twitter. I just didn't do this one because... I was busy having fun doing the Dougie somewhere. But ultimately, what happens here is these guys are malcontent America haters, right? They really are. They just are. They hate America. They believe that everything is on stolen land. Uh, I was uh, doing a, um, a hit on Newsmax TV earlier today, and uh, Emma Reckenberg, the anchor of National Report, she says, you know, did anybody bother to ask them if they're willing to give back the milk they stole from that cow, because that cow is oppressed and didn't consent to that. And I thought, excellent point, right? The cow makes the milk that makes their ice cream. These guys are clowns. But they say that America is built on stolen land, and they chose the 4th of July to make this announcement. So my question to you all in the moments that we have remaining is, is this... um, is this going to be another example of going woke and going broke? It's not the first time, but this is definitely the most egregious time, right? Will people now abandon ship on Ben and Jerry's because of their anti-Americanism? I don't know, but you let me know. Uh, let's go to the phones. Let's go to Zanesville, Ohio, listening on Rich Valdez, com. Let's check in with our buddy, Paul. Paul, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, good evening, Rich. You know, I don't think I could eat 62 hot dogs in a year, to be truthful, <laughs> but I do love me a good Chicago hot dog. Um, but um, And then with Ben and Jerry's, well, you know, go right ahead, do what you want to do, and you'll just take the same path that Bud, Bud Light did. You know, go right ahead. And I hope. Um, actually, I, uh, I, I actually celebrated the 4th of July tonight with my wife. We had a steak dinner, ribeyes, that my daughter got me for my uh, Father's Day gift. And... Um, baked potato and salad, so we did it up pretty good. I worked all through the weekend, and I kind of changed up what I wanted to say a little bit because you have so many interesting things, you know, while I'm listening in between Mm -hmm. before we get on the air. Yeah, and, um, you know, I I, I worked at a local big big box store, and there are so many people that are upset right now with Joe Biden and the economy. Why? You know, where I work. Because they can't afford to buy anything? Right inflation. You know, and it was the 4th of July, and I mean, I was like a, on a bumper pool table waiting on people, getting them gas grills, getting them, you know, blow up pools, whatever, you know, all kind of things. And people were just upset. And this guy went by and he said, well, thanks, Biden. And I'm not allowed to talk politics at work, but I went, yes, sir. And you ought to have seen the people around me going, I've had it with this guy. And I think they're changing. 
you know, this guy, and you, you also made me chuckle when you said this gives new meaning to the word White House. Because, <laughs> you know, Hunter Biden, yeah, I mean. They're lucky it wasn't lucky Christmas, or I would have said it's a white Christmas. Not. Yes, <laughs> yes. And, I, you know, I just, it's hard to tell. We've had so many stories, you know, already that, you know, it was in this area, it was in that area. But I think this will get swept under the rug, just like everything does with uh, Hunter Biden and the Bidens. You know, I just, uh, I, I don't even know what to think anymore. But yeah. I do want to say one other thing. The judges, the Quickly. judicial, they are stepping up. They are stepping up. They are stepping up. And I appreciate Finally that. getting it right. Yeah, I think they also had their 4th of July barbecues and people told them, you're ruining America. Get that guy out of here and stop letting him do what he wants to do with everything. Paul, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Excellent comments. We'll continue the conversation uh, with the rest of you as soon as we get back. And um, we'll do that right now. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at night with Rich Valdez. Let's go to Pendleton, Oregon, K-U-M-A. Check in with Michael. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich. Uh, your friend Michael here in Oregon. I'll, I'll try to be quick. I just wanted to say, <clears throat> Rich, I'm very proud to be an American. I think we have the greatest country in the world. This may not make some people happy, but um, I care about all, uh, all my American uh, fellow Americans, Republican and Democrat, I want them to be the best they can be. Uh, race doesn't matter to me. I have friends of all races, uh, black, Hispanic, Asian, uh, white. Um, and you have the chance to do that in America. Um, and I think the people that don't like America rich, if they spend a year in a lot of foreign countries, I think they come back with a lot more positive attitude about America. I, I think you're right. And thank you, Michael. I consider you uh, my friend, just like so many others that listen to this program and call into the show that I get to know uh, over over the time that we speak. And I can tell you, I happen to be uh, Hispanic. So there you go. We can be friends. And and you're right. Um, th- there's a beauty to being American. There there was once value added to believing in Americanism, to to upholding patriotism as a virtue not as something that we should um, shun as people look at it now. And I think that's part of the, the war that we face in the culture that we have to continue to fight. Thank you, Michael. Big shout out to everybody on KUMA. And take care, good night, and God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, we're going to do it all again tomorrow. But until then, keep it locked right here on this station. More great programming. I'll be back with you tomorrow. I am Rich Valdez. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.